Microphone. 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 Welcome to JudgeCast, the first JudgeCast of the new year. This is episode number 56. With me, as always, my two illustrious co-hosts. First up, Jess Dunks. Happy New Year, Jess. Happy New Year, CJ. Also with me, another year older, another year wiser, Brian Pilliman. Is illustrious the opposite of lustrious? No, I think it's like flammable and inflammable. They kind of mean the same thing. They kind I don't of know. Mean the same thing? I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I'm not too sure. <laughs> I'm the one who kind of implied your birthday is the same as the air year i guess you were born in year zero i guess that makes sense oh yes yes we did not keep track of time before i yes. was yes <laughs> I have... it's funny you, it's funny you mentioned that connection because my birthday was the 29th of december so i have uh, just became so a year you older. are a year older are you yeah. one of those people that gets the combined birthday christmas presents all the time oh. christmas slash birthday present constantly that sucks like i feel like people in your case because my grandmother was born on christmas and another friend of mine was born december 24th i feel like you guys should celebrate like your half birthday merry birthday and happy new year yeah my grandfather used to do that when he was alive he used to send me some big birthday present in june for that reason and uh, that was awesome but yeah other than that i've never done any kind of half birthday celebration so since it's a new year and it's new us's we're have you, okay have you guys seen it's a ridiculous amount of weight loss commercials on tv right now i never noticed it in previous years but it's just weight watchers weight watchers weight watchers um, I actually don't have cable. Like, I don't watch television other than stuff I stream on the internet. Uh, <laughs> I, I, haven't, I haven't seen a whole lot either. Maybe it's just a Georgia thing. I don't know. It's a lot of a lot of fatties in Georgia. <laughs> yeah, okay. I guess there are. Definitely. Maybe you're just noticing because you're more self-conscious. Did you gain a lot of weight over the holidays? Uh, yes, I did. I've, I've been dieting for months, and I got rid of... I pretty much blew away everything that I'd lost in a matter of two weeks. Don't 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 say you were dieting. That doesn't sound very manly. I was just say you were cutting back on the beer. I was something that's <laughs> eating less. There you go. Counting calories. No. Oh. 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 I had to get my girl. We don't. Up. We don't check your count calories. We'll get you we, a perk to keep your Weight Watcher cards in. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. You don't. You don't count calories unless you're trying to count because you want more. That's okay. <laughs> That's right. No, I got no problem gaining weight when I want to. But anyway, it's a new year. Let's talk about some of our resolutions we might have as judges, as people, either or. Who would like to go first? I'll go. I actually have it's 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 a and this will make Mr. Levine proud. I have a uh a resolution to and this is this is going to sound weird, but DQ more players. Awkward. Awkward, <laughs> I know. What that what that what that really translates to is be more vigilant, catch them cheaters, as opposed to just walking in and being like, you, I don't like your hoodie. You're out of here. <laughs> what about you, Jess? I, I don't know. I, I might have to go with the opposite as to uh, DQ fewer players. I don't know. Like You've been on a DQ uh, streak lately? Uh, apparently. <laughs> uh, just some, some, you know, I think a lot of it could be avoided by just some more education on players' parts about what is and isn't allowed. You know, I, so I've had the unfortunate situation recently of a player walking up to a match where we do we do pack for match win drafts and these players went to time and they were about to draw and both of them were fairly new players and one of them looks at me and he goes so if if we draw this match neither of us wins a pack right 
And I go, yeah, that's that's correct. If neither of you wins, then neither of you wins a pack. Mm-hmm. And and he stops talking to me, turns to his opponent, and goes, oh. Oh. can we just roll a die? And the other guy goes, sure, and grabs a die. No. Oh. No. That was, well, that wasn't the kind of DQ that I was talking about. I'm talking more of the, I'm talking more of the, the you know, the shuffle tricks and stuff like that. Yeah, oh, well, no, absolutely. That stuff, you know, you have to be... Palming cards, palming cards and stuff like that. But, yeah, those... Those are so, oh, I hate, I actually, those, those DQs I actually feel a little bit bad about. Oh, I felt bad too. Now, to, to be honest, here's, here's how that ended up being handled. Obviously, I have to remove them from the event. And if you're a judge out there and you run into this kind of situation, that's phrasing you should use. Have to remove from the event sounds way better to them than I'm going to disqualify you. Right. Uh, but you do have to remove them from the event. Now, on the other hand, if you're the tournament organizer, you can do this or, or get with the tournament organizer about this. In this situation, you don't want them walking away with a bad experience. So I actually refunded them the cost for their draft in this situation. They were they were already they were like X one in round two. They weren't getting anything anyway. Yeah. And uh, they just they were about to walk out with this terrible feel bad I hate you experience. And it went from that to, wow, this is a store that enforces the rules, but they still are cool people about stuff. So we, we, we did refund them for that. I wouldn't do that with everyone who gets disqualified, clearly. Right. But in this situation, well, one of them had, in fact, just gotten a DCI number. These guys had no idea they weren't supposed to do this. Yeah. And, and I, I was 100% certain of that. So they ended up getting a refund for their event, and uh, and they actually have both come back to the store since then. Uh, my so, my my first my first DQ was uh, a similar... I think I've told the story, but it was a it was a similar situation. The guy was just getting back into it after like a ten year hiatus. Like, uh, had just gotten back from Iraq the day before. Awkward. You know? Yeah, and he's just like, I drove up with my buddies for five hours. It was the end of round one. <laughs> yeah, that's dumb. I don't think I've ever felt quite that guilty for a GQ as I probably would in that situation. Oh uh, yeah. Well, I'm not looking. Yeah, I'm not looking to go on a. um, Enough to give you (laughs) enough time to think of one. I'm not looking to go on a rampage this year like you are, Brian. So, although I have never DQ'd anyone, so maybe maybe I am missing. Well, there you go. Just one. That's improving. It's it's like infinite better. I'm gonna let the listeners out in on a on a dirty secret. I'm ashamed to say it. I have never given a written slow play warning ever. Yeah, you should do that. I should. I've given the um, you know, hey, you need to hurry up and all that. But I've never given a written one, and I know that means I've made a mistake, not that it's never happened. Well, maybe it's never happened. Like, <sighs> doubt it. That's a possibility, I guess. Yeah. If you like, don't actually judge anything. Oh. Um. But no. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I, I, <laughs> no, slow play is actually really hard. In fact, there was recently an article about that. That slow plays are really hard one to give because it's totally subjective. Yeah, but still. Yeah. Certainly, it's come up. And you gotta, you gotta actually prepare yourself for the, the, uh, um, we have a guy that plays slowly and gets really belligerent whenever you give him the slow play warning. Uh huh. Uh, and then begins to, and this is repeated with multiple judges, he begins to blame the judges for the fact that he was playing slowly. Okay. You know, what's and, the reasoning? Uh, his reasoning is, well, for his first reasoning is he looks over at the clock, rolls his eyes, and is like, ah, there's still 15 minutes left in the round. <laughs> you're like, all right, well, I could take I'm time. I'm sorry, you're on game one. Please play faster. Like, what? <laughs> there's, uh, 
there's that, uh, or game two or something like that. But it's just like, well, you're standing over here watching me and that's making me nervous. But, but he says, he says it with a sneer. Yeah. Like, well, sorry. Why should you be making you nervous unless you're intentionally playing? Yeah. Like that would be my response to that. Like, well, no, what, what it is, is he's just playing slow because he's slow. And then when you, when you say something to him, he has to deflect the responsibility because if he's playing slow, that means he's, this is, this is my attempt to psychoanalyze it. Mm -hmm. You're saying he's stupid and he gets defensive. Okay. Right? If he's playing slow, it's because you're saying he's not able to figure stuff out fast enough. And that's, that's, that's on par with an insult. So there've actually been, you know, times where I've been at events where, you know, I'll walk by a judge and I'll notice that they're watching this guy and I'll just be like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm just watching this match for slow play. I was like, all right, well, here's what's going to happen when you give it. And then, you know, I go, I, you know, basically it was like, he's going to say this, he's going to say this, he's going to say this. And then I kind of step back a little bit and watch and they come back over and they're like, you're right. He did, he did that as the exact order of things. <laughs> oh, well. One other thing that I intend to do, I intend to run the largest event that I've ever run this year. Uh, like that would be awesome. How big would that be? be? Do you know? As far as head judging goes? Yeah. I basically have to break 250. Ooh. Yeah, I think that's bigger than me. I did a, a Legacy Star City Games Open, but I don't remember if it hit 250. I don't think it did. I think the largest event I've ever had judged was uh one of the RTR pre-releases that was like 225. Oh, yeah. 230. I bet. Yeah, so my intention is to at some point get a number larger than that. And also, get a, you know, I'd really like to break like 70, 80 players for a comp event. I think that would be awesome. Yeah. Uh, not a non-PGQ comp event. Oh, right. So that's kind of a personal goal just because I also, you know, be working at a store that I, I can set these kinds of goals because I have some say over how many people show up. Right. That's cool. Um, so that's, I guess, I guess if we're talking about goals for the year, that might be one of mine. You know, it's, a, it's a little on theme here. And I, if, since I'm airing my, my dirty secrets, um, I had a, that's not the right word because there were no stakes, but I had an agreement with Ricky Hayashi that by the end of 2012, I will have written 40 reviews and I didn't meet it. I just, I just looked it up and I was like, Oh no, I didn't meet it. Cause I wasn't even paying attention to it for the last like three months. So Ricky might just be murdering me and then replacing me on the show. So it's been good with you guys. Yeah. He, uh, he came up to me at the, at the invitational and was in LA and was like, just randomly out of the blue being like, do you know how many reviews you've written? You need to write more. <laughs> it doesn't uh, matter what the number is. No, because he knows because he's in our scene now, so he can look it up. Yeah. Like, so he's like, yeah, you've written this many reviews. You need to write more. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, my bad. Have you guys, have you guys submitted your review to his project? The, my first review? Yes, I have. No, I'm not. And mine's nope. terrible. Do you, do you know, do you know about this? No. Okay, so Ricky has on the wiki, he has a project called My First Review. And basically what you do is you post the, the, the point of it is to show that everybody started somewhere. Okay. Not, not as a judge, but as a reviewer. Like everybody had to write their first review and a lot of them are bad. And, uh, so you, you put in who, who, you know, who you are, who you reviewed, and then the text of the review itself. So obviously you want to get the the person's permission and then you can give a story in addition to the review as to like why you said what you said. See, now yeah. I'm, I'm looking up my first review right now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually, it's actually cool. 
like I was, in my opinion, I was a pompous ass in my first review. <laughs> I mean, I was just, I, I read it and I was just like, wow, I thought I was so much better than I was. Did you put it out there? Is it oh out? yeah, I put, yeah. It, I put it, I put it out there. And probably if you read it, you probably won't see it, but I, I, it was just dripping with Brian shut up. <laughs> dripping with Brian shut up. Yeah, that was that was just like just reading it. I was just like snarling at myself. So it's good, you know, in the sense of in the sense of getting it out there and showing other people what you did when you started out. And and you can you can give examples of what to do, what not to do. So it helps people learn. I like it. It's also fun to like read the first reviews of people that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. All right. You guys ready to hop into our main topic, which is not reviews or slow play? How about oh, I guess we're, can we do emails first? Can we do emails first? No. I don't know. I think doing things out of order might be a little interesting today. Perhaps. I wish I wish we had cameras. <laughs> Why? <laughs> did you judge drop? No, I'm just uh, he rolled his eyes, I'm pretty sure. Pretty much, yeah. Aw. All right, our main topic today is out of order sequencing. You know what's funny though is you guys do that, but earlier on when we were talking, I was thinking, I was like, oh, I should have opened the show with our ending segment to make that bad joke. Yeah. So really, I'm on, I'm on the train with everyone, but we're not doing any of that. You're on a lot of bad jokes. <laughs> All right. Out of order sequencing. What is it? Why does it exist? So out of order sequencing is, well, first off, magic is a really complicated game. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of moving parts to it. This is, this game is rated, you know, it's a, it's a Mensa genius level game. There's is it really? Yeah. What? It's, I didn't know that. That's yeah. pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. I mean, there are tons and tons of moving parts. If you, if you look at like the number of decisions that need to get made and stuff like that, uh, and the stuff that you need to do. Oh, yeah, deci- like actually drawing the decision tree for any given game is just, Super intense. They talk, they talk about, you know, like when you drive a car, there's like something like a hundred decisions that you have to make every minute, you know, and uh-huh. it is in a lot of ways is, is, is on par with that or, or things that you have to do, not necessarily decisions, but so you, you can screw up little things pretty easy. Okay. And we're not, I'm not talking about like tactical errors or anything like that, like saying go when you really meant to attack. But the, the way the rules work, okay, like the, probably the, the most famous example, or when I say famous, one of the most basics is, you know, the last step of resolving a spell is putting it in the graveyard, okay? So if you terror a dude, okay, and then put the, put the terror in the graveyard before that creature is removed from the battlefield, well, you just did something out of order. You just broke a game rule. Right. Right. And, but are we really going to penalize somebody for that? Are we going to, are we going to like, oh, GRV, you get a warning. People wouldn't last the first match or the first game of the first match. So we, we've created this thing called out of order sequencing, which isn't really a creation. It's more just an acknowledgement of the way people play, where they're going to do things slightly out of order, but they arrive at a legal and clearly understood game state once all those actions are complete. Okay. So if I terror your dude, put my terror in the graveyard, and then you bend your guy. There we go. We have a, we have a legal and clearly understood game state once all the actions are complete. Yeah. Apparently, uh, the old example I hear, it's similar. It's the Harrow example. Yeah, that one's what I was going to bring up, actually. Yeah. So Harrow, Harrow reads as an additional cost to cast at Harrow, you sacrifice a land. 
And then you search your library for up to uh, two cards, two lands. You put them both on the battlefield and you shuffle your library. So what I guess this used to actually happen is people would play Harrow and they'd put it straight in the graveyard with the land they're sacrificing. And the opponent would be like, well, Judge, he's finished resolving the spell because he didn't, he didn't put any lands out, but he's put the Harrow in the graveyard. He failed to find. He failed to find. He failed to find. It's like, no. 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 This is, this is not, this is not a, a game where we want to hold people to that level of, of technical accuracy. Right. In that regard. I mean, it's pretty clear what they meant to do. And there's, there's really no opportunity to interact between those two points. Like, does it, does it matter? Right. Okay. That he put it in the graveyard before. Now, if it does matter, then we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the podcast. But if it, if, you know, if steps A, B, C, D, they all have to happen. Okay. And you kind of shuffle them around a little bit. And there's no interruption. There's no touch points. You know, nobody interrupts or anything like that. Then it's probably uh, it's there stands a good chance of being out of order sequencing. Uh, and this is this has gotten a lot of attention lately uh, as a result of all the the mistrigger stuff, which I guess we'll talk about in a bit. Yay! Yay! But so so let's let's talk out of order sequencing. It's located in the Magic tournament rules. Okay, so this is part of the rules of the game when you play at tournaments. So, but not when you're playing casually with your friends. Absolutely not to, not allowed to do out of order sequencing. Play (laughs) no, nope. When you're playing with your buddies and you've got like four or five folks in you, you've got to be absolutely precise. Mm -hmm. We get when you're playing with your friends, you get so out of order it's ridiculous. You're just like, (laughs) like. I'm going to be fetching this land for the next three turns. You guys just do whatever you're going to do. It doesn't matter. I'm going to, I'm going to crack my fetch land, but I'm really cracking it at the end of your turn that you haven't started yet. Yeah, exactly. You get so out of order, but it works. So what it says is, um, from the, from the MTR, it says all actions must be legal if they were executed in the correct order. And an opponent can ask that the player do the actions in the correct sequence so that he or she can respond at the appropriate time. Okay. So if your opponent just starts doing stuff and out of order sequencing, a lot of times goes with uh, shortcuts too. Uh-huh. Let's say you've got a birthing pod, right? And a dude with uh, undying. Okay. You might, you know, take the guy with undying, you know, tap your, tap your birthing pod, poke your guy with undying with your finger, put a counter on him and then go search for your, for your land or sorry for your creature. Right. Okay, you never actually bend your your guy, so that's kind of a combination of outer order sequencing and uh, sure, right. a cut, right? Because you're you're just kind of tapping or poking your guy. I shouldn't say tap, but you're kind of poking your guy and putting a counter on him to indicate the fact that you put him in the graveyard and pulled him back out with a counter. Now your opponent can be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've got Tormod's Crypt out or something like that that I want to respond to that. So you can say, hold on, no, let's do this in the correct order. Right. In which case, you do it in the correct order, he uses his Crypt, and that goes off. And, and that's an important point that, uh, you know, even though we generally do out of order sequencing, if, if the opponent wants to respond during any portion of that, we can, he can just be like, hold on, let's, let's do this again, but everything in the proper order. Yeah. Right. Now, 
uh, again from the MTR, players can may not use opponent's reactions to some portion of out-of-order sequencing uh, to see if he or she should modify actions or try to take additional ones. So this is, this is basically, hey, I'm going to mix things up a little bit just so I can watch your face and then decide if I want to do something differently based on that. Mm-hmm. The next one is Norma uh, players use out-of-order sequencing to retroactively take an action that they missed at the appropriate time. So this is, we're going to get into this when we get into missed triggers or or forgotten triggers, okay? In general, any substantial pause at the end of a completed batch is an indication that all actions have been taken. Sequence is complete and the game is moved to the appropriate point at the end of the sequence. So uh, some some examples, some more examples of -of out-of-order sequencing from the MTR is uh, a player discards a card to pay for Mastercord's upkeep before untapping his or her land. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, that's Uh, fine. I mean, there's, there's no harm there. Uh, while res- while resolving a restore balance, a player discards uh, discards before sacrificing lands and creatures. Because on the on the card itself, restoring balance, I think it goes uh, lands, creatures, and then discard. Which if you discard first, oh oh no. Yeah. Do you guys have you guys encountered any uh, any examples of OOS in real in like in not just you know in play, but like as as a result of taking. And then it's been you've ruled it just OOS. Ooh. Uh, well, there was a, actually a situation on coverage recently, uh, but it involves missed triggers. Do you want me to wait on that or sure, go for it? it Most so, what's that? Most of it touches on missed triggers in a lot of ways. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, they want to. Stay it was trigger. on the at the Invitational. There was a uh, there was a situation where a player played Rancor uh, on a creature and then attacked with that creature. And then uh, that creature was blocked, so it died. And he puts the creature in the graveyard, graveyard leaves the Rancor on the battlefield. And he taps some mana, and his intention was to play the guy onto the Rancor, paying one extra green. Mm-hmm. And his opponent, he, he says, after combat, holds a card that he's about to lay down, and his opponent stops him and goes, hold on, judge, he said after combat, does that mean he missed his trigger? And uh, that ended up being ruled incorrectly by the judge at the table that it was a missed trigger, and then the head judge came over, I was appealed, and the head judge came over and said, no, that's just out of order sequencing, it's fine. Yeah, and, and I would agree with that, because there's, there's no major action taken right and also he was clearly aware of the trigger he had not forgotten i I like what brian did earlier he called it forgotten trigger instead of missed trigger and maybe that's where we need to go with this yeah because well a a trigger that is not forgotten but not acknowledged is still not acknowledged like that's yeah i think too right but and this is this is when we when we start getting into to the missed trigger talk it's it's kind of hard to make a a good distinction as to as to when something is, or or at least in text it's hard to make a good distinction as to when something is OOS out of order sequencing and when something is actually is, is a missed trigger okay the the best the best way to look at it is if you look at at least in my mind if i look at an uninterrupted block of actions okay then is the result you know legal clearly understood like if i just sit back and do a whole bunch of like in the the elf combo you know you you tap and untap and tap and untap and then towards the end you know you've ended up gaining a lot of life as a result of of, of some of the spells mm-hmm. you know or some of the some of the elves tapping and untapping and stuff like that and then just at the end you just go and i gained 24 life you know well in reality you, you know that's that's that 24 is the summation of a lot of 
smaller incremental life gains, but you just kind of do another stuff. And then at the end, end, 24 life. And that's, yeah, sure. That's, that's all those little piece parts. You know, no one has interrupted what you were doing. So we have, we have reached the, the end of the, of the chain, the sequence of events. Now, if you stopped him anywhere in the middle of that chain, yeah, sure. It might look like he did not acknowledge his triggers. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, uh, an example back from, uh, uh, scars block. I get, I get called over and what a guy had done was, I think this was like on turn two or turn three of the game. He cast a Memnite, which is a zero mana artifact creature. That's a one, one. He'd cast a Memnite. Then he'd cast a Glint Hawk for one white, okay, uh-huh. which a talk is a 2-2 flyer that when it comes into play, you have to bounce a dude yes. to your hand. So basically, he goes, he casts, he taps two white, he drops Memnite, Glint Hawk, pokes the Memnite with his finger, casts another Glint Hawk, po- and then uh, uh, pokes the, the Memnite again. Okay. And, and immediately goes over to up his Quest of the Holy Relics up to five, okay? And his opponent called over and was like, no, he, he missed his triggers. Uh, cause, cause Quest of the Holy Relic is in May. Right. And I kind of looked at that and I was like, well, that's, do, do you wish to respond in that chain anywhere? Turns out he did. So, you know, we kind of slowed things down and we, we went back through those actions and we redid them properly. But at nowhere in there did I, feel that he had missed that trigger at all. I mean, that seems pretty textbook out of order sequencing. Yeah. He just, he just, he did all the actions. Right. And there wasn't a pause either. It was, just, it was just right down the line. Just boom, 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 five. Yeah. So what am, what am I, I don't know if you can have a favorite out of order sequence, but one of the ones I like more is, um, is when you have a man land and, uh, we'll use blocking cause blocking is a little less hairy than attacking. But so you say you have two bear cubs and a man land and you're just like, and you're being attacked, and you're like, all right, block with bear cub, animate man land, block with it, block with other bear cub. So you just kind of do it all as one sequence of actions. Now, technically, you don't have priority when you're declaring blockers. You have it right before, after they've declared attackers. So technically, you have to do it right then. But as long as you do it as one big action, it's pretty clear what you're trying to do, and that's just out of order sequencing. Because it's normally you, you as the defending player have the last, like basically the last word before you, before blockers are declared. Right. Yeah. You have priority last. Right. I haven't, I haven't quite worked out why block, block, animate, block is out of order sequencing and attack, attack, animate, attack isn't. So I, I did want to touch on that a little bit because I, I would feel that if I go attack, attack, animate, attack, and that's all I do, that's okay. But if I go declare attackers, if I ask you if I can go into declare attackers, then try to do it, I feel like I've lost my opportunity. And that's because of that tournament shortcut that says when I say declare attackers, it means we're going to where you have priority in the uh, beginning of combat step. So I've lost my chance of pr- uh, priority. So it's kind of it's kind of a subtle difference there. If I just go straight from my main phase into combat without saying anything, I feel like an action like that is okay. But maybe it's not because of the uh the priority issues there. You know, it's just exactly like you said. Usually the blocker gets uh, the last say because they're the non-active player. And if even in the even in the block block animate block scenario, mm-hmm. if if his opponent was like, oh hold on, or if the active player was like, oh oh hey hang on now. He animates that? Well, here's a terror. Yeah. You know, all right, sure. Let's, uh, again, let's, let's talk about, you know, ask the player to 
do the actions in the correct sequence, in which case you can respond at the appropriate time. Yeah. You know, it's funny because that award sequence is kind of, it's a really small section of the, uh, magic tournament rules, but it applies to every single game. Like there's probably never been a game where some faction, some portion of this doesn't really apply. Right. Well, I mean, just any. So I think, I think. Uh, I'm sorry, I was just going to say, this kind of reminds me of what we were talking about a minute ago, where we couldn't figure out a situation that uh, where they were getting information from the out of order sequencing from their opponent. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, you know, the situation where I go block, block, animate, block, and you go, hold on, could you do that in the right order? And I go, oh, okay, sure, I'll just block with these guys. And not animate? And not animate. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Where it's like, oh, you have something you're going to do? Well, I'm not going to animate these guys then. Like, that's something, that's a situation in which you would have tried to use out-of-order sequencing to get information, and that's something we would not allow. Yes. Yeah, that's a good one. You would be, you would be held to it's an animated thing. Right. Okay. I agree. Here's a, here's a neat one that I asked, I asked one of, uh, one of the other local judges here in Florida who gave me a, a an interesting situation. A guy cast preordain and then off of it just drew a card. Okay. Let me double check the wording on preordain here. Uh, and you're, and he knew how preordain worked, right? I did not actually take the call, but I mean that's that's all he did was he just he just cast preordain, put it in the graveyard, drew a card. Sure. So technically, and, yeah, preordain, you know, scry two, then draw a card, and yes. uh, scrying two says to look at the top two cards of your library, then put any number, then blah blah. Right. Um, and you do, and you do, and you do the scry two first before you do the drawing of the card. Right. And so this guy, he wasn't even trying to, like, he didn't try to draw then scry, right? He was just like, I am not going to change the order of these cards. In talking to it, there was a long discussion. It was actually ruled something differently mm-hmm. at the actual event, but after after a, a, a lengthy discussion, it was it was determined that like afterwards that OOS out of order sequencing was probably the best call or probably the more correct call because you did re- you did get a you know, the game state was legal. He, no one had any extra cards in their hand with the scry. Leaving that card on top was an option. Um, you know, cause you look at the top two cards and then put one in your hand. So that's, that's seems fine to me. You know, we are, we are at a legal and clearly understood game state once that action is, is complete. Could, um, right. I mean, couldn't you make the argument though? Like scry two, it says to scry two, look at the top two cards of library. Like, it feels like you should have to look at the top two. Eh. We tend not to get that strict. Right, but if, like if, that. I, if I cast Ponder last turn, or this turn, and I draw right. a card, then I cast Preordain, there's no reason I should have to scry if I don't want to. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's my party. I can scry if I want to. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, and here's the thing. The sole reason I told that story See, is, is to, is to get that giggle out of you. <laughs> it was worth it. That was, that was, that was worth it. I wish we had an episode on Scry so we could make that the title, but we don't. <laughs> I think it's been like the article, some, uh, the title of an article on, uh, good, on the, on the mothership. So what else? Uh, what else about out of order, out of order sequencing beyond the fact that it's hard to say? And we just call it Oos. Do we call it Oos? No, no one actually says Oos. I don't think we call it Oos. If someone, if someone came up to me, oh, I rolled a Oos. Loose it or loose it. Oh, <laughs> there we go. There's the title. What? Oh, no, that's horrible. Loose it or loose it. Loose it or loose it. You are 
I, I have no control over what the title is, so I, <laughs> I, there's, there's no threat I can make that, that you can't just, eh, ignore. Alright, what else? What about oozing it? What about oozing it? What else about oozing it? Um, alright, so something, so, so let's, let's talk about something that, that kinda looks like, uh, out of order sequencing, but really isn't. Let's find the card. Okay, so, Horizon Spellbomb is, is a card that is, that is not, uh, or when you when you read the text of it, it says it's a it's an artifact from what, Scars. Pay two tap, sacrifice Horizon spell bomb. Search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, and put it into your hand. Then shuffle your library. All right. It also has a triggered ability that says when Horizon spell bomb is put into the graveyard, you may pay green if you do draw a card. Right. Okay. There's two ways you can do this. One's correct and one's not. I can when I stack it, I can pay. You know pay my green and then I draw my card and then search for a land or I search for a land and then draw my card. Right. Well, there's a shuffle when you search for your land. So you're changing what you're drawing. Okay. So what you're, what you are supposed to do is you are supposed to, when you sacrifice it, the ability goes on the stack of, of the, the activated ability goes on the stack and then you, have the option of then the trigger goes on the stack as well. When it goes to resolve, you pay your green and then you draw your card. And then after you've drawn your card, you go and search for your land. Right. Right. All right. If you do that in the reverse order, which is the incorrect way, you have search for your land and then you drew a card. So that's technically uh, you look at it and it's like you drew a card when you weren't supposed to. Right? Yeah. Okay. So, or, or rather, let me, let me back up for just a second before I, before I get there. Um, so it's not out of order sequencing because the order of which you did things changes or, or changes the result. Okay. So it's not out of order sequencing. So now we start looking at other infractions and it seems like it's going to be drawing extra card because you search, you had a triggered ability. Okay. When it, when it resolved, uh, you had the option to pay green. If you do draw a card, you didn't. Okay. Uh, you search for your land and now you're drawing your card. Okay. So that looks like drawing extra cards because there's nothing telling you to draw a card. You, you've missed your trigger. But in reality, if you look at the drawing extra cards infraction, it actually says that drawing it, that, let's see here. It can't a be player, the result of resolving right. the stack out of order. Thank you. Resolving right. options on the stack in an incorrect order, which this is. Matter of fact, that sentence was actually added to the IPG, at least in my mind, for, it was right around the time that Horizon Canopy was a thing. Spell bomb. Uh, spell bomb. What'd I say? Horizon, Horizon Canopy. Canopy. Horizon Canopy is a totally different card. Totally different, totally different card. Creatures of flying, I think. Yeah. You know. <laughs> that one too. <laughs> Yeah, where's all of that? So, uh, so this is, this is an example of something that looks like out of order sequencing, but really isn't. Another thing is, what's that, uh, red card where it's, it's, you know, discard a card, tap, draw a card? What's that guy? Oh, uh, uh, Mad Prophet? Or Rummage Goblin? I can't remember. Maybe just, both. Just any of the red looting is what you're talking about? Um, let me see here. Rummaging, Rummaging Goblin. Uh, yeah, tap, discard a card, draw a card. Okay. You know, what if I tapped him, drew a card, and discarded a card? Is that out of sequencing? No, that is not. It's not because you, uh, 
not only have you gained information you wouldn't have had when you have to make the decision of drawing a card, but now there's an extra card in your hand that you might discard. So you actually have different options. Yeah, right. So so that is something that looks like out-of-order, or, or glance could look like out-of-order sequencing, but isn't. Mm-hmm. All right. Good. Let's hear. What is uh, something else? What was the bird in Innistrad that was whenever it dies? Uh, this is a fun game. Yeah. I'm draw a card? <laughs> it was draw a card and then discard a card? Uh, was, um, was it, was it missed? Are you talking about Murder of Crows? I am. I believe I am. Yeah, about. that is Murder of Crows. It's a good card. It's Crows. like you guys never play Magic or something. I, hey man, it's limited. <laughs> Limited cards and stuff, man. No, I totally understand. I used to play so much Magic, and then I started working at a store, and I went from having enough Planeswalker points to have, like, one or two buys in a season, to last season I got all of 18 Planeswalker points, because I played in such so few events. <laughs> yeah. It sucks. Anyway. So Murder Crows, whenever whenever a creature dies, you may draw a card if you do discard a card. Okay, right. so let's you have two Murder of Crows out. Uh-huh. Dude dies, okay? And you draw two cards and discard two cards. Right. I, yeah, I've heard of this. Yeah, and that that's the and that would be the same thing. That's not out of order sequencing because you've now been given an additional card to choose to discard when you shouldn't have one for right. that so first what, trigger. So, so what penalty is that? Sounds like drawing extra cards to me. You drew uh, an extra card. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> it is drawing extra cards. That's, yeah. that's right. An unfortunate situation, but... Rummaging Goblin situation... Was slightly different, at least in my mind, because it's a tap. Okay, tap, discard a card, draw a card. So I tap the rummaging goblin. Uh, is that no? Is that no GRV has been committed before the point where you draw the card. Well, no, I fi- I incorrectly paid for its cost. I mean, I partially paid for its cost. Oh, I see what you're saying. Well, that one's fine. Yeah, you're right. That one would be a, a GRV. <laughs> these are all none. None of these are out of order sequencing. Right. So that one, that one is a is a case of. You know, I'm, I, I activated its ability improperly. Right. Alright, so do we want to talk about how Wild of Order sequencing relates to miss triggers? We did a little bit already. Um, it's, it's, it relates exactly how it should relate. Like, if, if you're doing something out of order with a trigger, uh, but you're acknowledging that that trigger exists, you probably haven't missed your trigger. Uh, but if you're, Missing a trigger and then trying to use out of order sequencing to catch it later, you might be getting yourself in trouble. Right. Like, like in the, in the example of the, the example earlier I gave of like quest of the, quest of the holy relic. So I cast a bunch of dudes, quick succession, and then when I get all done, I look at my opponent, you know, and be like, oh, and then I go to put five counters on my, on my lands. Yeah. On my, on my quest rather. Then no, that's, that's, that's not out of order sequencing. Right. I mean, not only is that not out of order sequencing, but this guy might be getting himself in trouble because it's clear that he forgot and he's trying to get away with doing it anyway. Yeah, sure. I mean, and, and, and depending on, depending on what exactly happened here. And that's where that line, you know, the line about the significant pause really comes into play. Right. You know, the fact that he stopped, looked up at his opponent instead of just going to put the counters on as if he always knew. Right, right. So one of, one of the big, I guess one of the big motivations for this podcast as a, as a, as a whole, cause I, I think, 
or this particular episode, when we got done recording last time, Jess, you brought up your, your Rancor example. Well, I guess uh, I did mention that on the last show. I'm sorry. Well, I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was during the last show or after we finished. It's recording. hard to remember. <laughs> and we were, we were just, you know, BSing afterwards. But right. that story was the reason that we wanted to talk about out of, out of order sequencing. And out of order sequencing is something that to a, to a degree is subjective. It's, it's kind of a, a nod to the way players play the game. Right. And so it, it has to be kind of loose, you know, and, and be kind of cast a, a wide net to catch a lot of things, but also be, uh, you know, have the, the conditions written into it where people can't, can't. Right. Squeak. Yeah, that squeak <laughs> threw me off. <laughs> Who's got a dog or a cat or uh, that was me? A really excited mouse. <laughs> yeah, that was my dog. This mouse is having a blast. <laughs> that you know, mouse is having so much fun. I, I do want to bring up one last thing about out of order sequencing uh, is that you can't you can't use it as an excuse because you don't know how to do something else. And so what I mean by that is there's the um the oblivion ring trick, right? Where you play oblivion ring. You have its exile or its uh, interest of battlefield trigger on the stack to exile something, and then you return Oblivion Ring to your hand, which puts its leaves the battlefield trigger on the stack on top. Long story short, you end up with the card that you targeted exiled forever. Some people don't know how to do that trick, but they're aware the trick exists, and you right. can't you can't just be like Oblivion Ring trick your dude. I mean, I guess sometimes it'll work, but. I mean, sure, you could, you could actually do that, but if you, if you don't know how it works, you're gonna get caught when an opponent goes, I'm oh, sorry, run me through that? Yeah, run me through that. And then you have, you have to be able to know what, what the, all the steps you were going to take are. Right. You can't just be like, well, I'm just out of order sequencing it, it's fine. Yeah. No good. Or, or it's like, no, 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 please go through the steps, I might have a response, please go through the steps in the correct order. You're like, uh. uh. So, so the, the correct, the correct sequence is, with its enters the battlefield trigger on the stack, you bounce it or exile it or destroy it or whatever. So then it leaves the battlefield trigger will resolve first, uh, returning nothing. And then right. it's, and then it's enters the battlefield trigger will resolve getting rid of whatever nasty thing and putting it into the, into the ether. And that works with Fiend Hunter. That works with, uh, Angel of Serenity. Right, uh, also, all those. Yeah, also uh, detention sphere. Journey to nowhere. Yeah, all those yeah. cards. All those fun. Okay, and the reason the reason it works with those cards is because they have two separate triggered abilities. Even though it, it, they 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 look like they're one ability that does two things, it's actually two separate triggered abilities. One when it comes into play, and one when it leaves play. Right, and they work so well with phasing. <laughs> no, no, sure. they don't. No, they don't. <laughs> phasing phasing does not mess with. Enters the battlefield or leaves the battlefield triggers. And that's all we'll ever say about phasing. Oh, okay, sure. Now, we'll probably, one day we'll probably have the Brian Prillman show and we'll talk about phasing, we'll talk about banding. We'll, we'll talk about in, all the... We'll throw in Rampage, even though it's not as hard. Rampage? We'll talk about... We, can, we cover, can we cover Art Rampage? Yeah, sure, why not? Sure, we'll just talk about all those all those fun. We'll talk about Shadow, we'll talk about Island Home. Oh, yeah, Island um, Home. Island Home doesn't okay. even exist anymore. Oh yeah. It, well, it, we could just talk about that in, in the in the 
uh, in the Hall of Fame, uh, the retired Hall of Fame. We'll yeah. talk about that and substance. Like every card that, oh, uh, substance, that's a good one. Yeah, but every <laughs> card that had Island Home no longer has Island Home. Nope. It just has the ability written out. Yep. So, speaking of Island Home, is that everything we want to say about out-of-order sequencing? Yes. Sometimes I just say speaking of something and then say something totally unrelated. Yeah, it's a good segue when you're like, I want to talk about something else entirely. <laughs> speaking of <laughs> Island <laughs> Home... Let's talk about emails. Yeah, exactly. Yes, emails, exactly. Let's do this. Let's do this. Mail time. I have a new microphone. I hope that sounded beautiful. Our first email comes from Andrew Parnell. He says, hey, guys, great show. I just started listening to it, and I found it very valuable for understanding all aspects of the game. I had one question related to the step slash phases episode from a few weeks ago. I am not sure I understand how one passes between the pre-combat main, beginning of combat step, declare attacker step. My understanding is that if my opponent says combat, he is passing priority from his main in order to move into the combat phase, not passing priority to the beginning of combat step, and all that nonsense. So my question would be, why... Oh, okay, well, I jumped ahead there. But anyway, he's just he's curious about how we move from one step to another, and then also he's kind of touching on tournament shortcuts, which we should definitely do an episode about one day. Didn't we do one already? Did we? Oh, maybe we did. It's hard to tell. We touch them on, like, every episode. Like, even today, I think we've already hit them twice. I don't know. I don't know. So <laughs> here's how you move from one step or phase to the next one is you have both play- players pass priority on an empty stack. That's the real technical. That's how you do it. Now, most people don't bother to be like, I pass priority. Do you pass priority? Good. Okay, we're moving on to the next step. So we have a list of uh, tournament shortcuts, and we're not going to go too deep into them, but there is the one, like I mentioned earlier, that if you say combat, ready for attacks, declare attackers, anything like that, what you're actually doing is you are passing priority to your opponent in the declare, um, sorry, in the beginning of combat step. Which means if they do nothing, the next thing that ha- if they go K, yeah, you know, or not, or sure, then the the very next thing that happens is you tap dudes and and swing in that red zone. Right. So a lot like order out of order sequencing, you know, these shortcuts are in there to kind of make the game more playable. You don't have to be quite so technically precise Mm -hmm. yeah it's 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 meant to it's meant to handle the tournament shortcuts are meant to basically again reflect the way people actually play Mm -hmm. okay so they're in there and they're kind of our go-to when there is a dispute you know if if um if if i go attack and then you go okay and i go okay well now i'm going to animate my my treetop village then judge you know, this is what happened, and I'm going to rule, I'm sorry, you can't attack. Yep. Okay. Now, the the question that, that Andrew basically has is he wants to let's, – let's see here. He, his, his other question is let's look at the following situation. My opponent, Joe, is the active player and is currently in his pre-combat main phase. He looks at me and says, combat, to which I reply, sure – it is my understanding that Joe is signaling to me and is passing priority in his main phase and would like to begin with the combat phase, not that he is ending the beginning. Okay, so this is all we, we explained. But he wanted to get into, so after I say sure, he reaches down and starts to tap some creatures. I say before declare attacker step, I overload bust, bluster squall. Okay, and so it's basically if, if you say attack, or if active player says attack and non-active player says sure, 
Okay. The next step is declare attackers. It is no, you're not going to be able to cast your bluster squall at that point. Okay. Right. If you want, if he goes, if he says attack and you go, okay, bluster squall, you're actually casting that at the point in his scenario where he wanted to cast it, which is, uh, before declare attackers. There's very, and the, and the way it's, the reason why it's set up the way it is, is there's very few reasons why you would ever, you as the non-active player would ever want to cast something in their main, at the end of their main phase before the, before you get priority in the beginning of combat step. And there's also very little reason why a active player would want to cast something in the beginning of combat step that he can't do in the main phase. If that, if that, if that makes sense. I mean, there's, there's very little reason why players would want to do that do those things uh, the, other than to especially the active player other than to create confusion right yeah. so it. and this is this is actually one of the as far as shortcuts go and the reasoning behind it this is probably the the one that trips people up the most and it's kind of one of these things where you know we it can be explained but you just kind of have to get it mm-hmm. you know it'll it'll click if you think about it enough it'll click you just what you have to do is you just have to let go of the argument of well it's a, the the beginning of attacker step is a step so I should be able as an active player I should be able to pass priority in my main phase and then go into that step and then activate my man lands hopefully tricking them into doing whatever it's it's because you know I'd like to begin combat I'd like to go into combat I'd like to start combat those all sound really similar yeah the beginning of combat steps really kind of awkwardly named i'd like to pass priority on my main phase and go to the point during the beginning of combat step where i have priority yeah can i do that it's like why why not just do whatever you're going to do in the main phase yes all right exactly all right cool can i do the next email no all right it comes from zach wilson jess i'm going to throw this one at you sure also it's easy uh, he has a couple of questions about. Retirement. I don't know what he's trying to say there. I'm not saying. I'm saying Brian's done a lot of talking. <laughs> oh, Wait, that's not unusual though. No, it's, it's not. not. He does. He does a lot of talking all the time. Oh, okay. Well, fine. You can do all the rest of these then. Oh, okay. Oh. You get, well. I mean, he said we're practice. Been doing it so long. <laughs> all right. Yes. Uh, a couple questions from Zach happened at FNM. He says, I have a Wolfier Avenger and cast Rancor on it. My opponent responds with an ultimate price, and I respond to his spell by regenerating Wolfier Avenger. The question is, does my Rancor resolve and attach to the Wolfier Avenger? Uh, well, the short answer to this question is yes. Yes. But I think the reason that we're asking this question is uh, because of a misunderstanding about how regeneration works. Yes. Uh, regeneration doesn't take the creature out of the graveyard, which is what a lot of people think it does. Uh, when you regenerate a creature, it puts a regeneration shield on it, and the next time it would be destroyed, instead of being destroyed and going into the graveyard, you tap it, remove all damage from it, uh, and remove, remove it from combat. Yes. This means that it never left play. So as far as the Rancor is concerned, that's still the same same permanent, and it's going to resolve, and it doesn't care whether or not it's been regenerated. Yep. And you're still going to have a Wolfier Avenger uh, that has a Rancor. You just won't be able to attack with it unless you have some other way to untap it before you attack. And then his other question, and I think it's totally related to this, is uh, he says, one of the guys I play FNM with said that you can only regenerate the same creature once per turn. And he says he can't find that in the rulebook, and that is because that does not exist in the rulebook. And I think it's I think it's exactly what you're just saying. I think maybe some people think you have to tap the creature to regenerate it, perhaps. 
Uh, well, let me let me point out one thing real quick. If you activate the regeneration ability, uh, that regeneration shield will only protect it once from being destroyed. If, if you were to Doomblade it, it would be tapped and regenerated. Mm-hmm. And then if you were to Doomblade it again, it would be destroyed. Uh, but you are allowed to put that regeneration shield on it multiple times to protect it from being destroyed multiple times. Yes. So you can regenerate more than once, but I don't want you to confuse that with using the regeneration ability keeps it regenerating more than once. Like, you have to keep doing it every time you want to regenerate it. All right, that's good. All right, this next one, we'll throw you, Brian. Trying to do a little less of the, um, I just throw a question out there, and then we just have silence until someone answers it. All right. So he's got he uh this is from Jackson Wayne. Quick question that came up in the EDH game. I have a general Rafik with Lignify on it. I tried to enchant it with Shield of the Oversoul and there was some confusion. Um as to my guesses uh my guess would be that because Lignify doesn't change the colors of the enchanted creature, the shield would still do what it says. From my limited knowledge of layers, blah, blah, blah. I'm just reading this because I want to enter, I want to read the last sentence. If the shield entered first, I guess it would be a baby colored 2-6 with no abilities. Thanks in advance. <laughs> and I just kind of like, I just kind of lulled at the baby, you know, I was like, his autocorrect got him because he probably typed in bant and it corrected it to baby. <laughs> so let me read some cards real quick before we go any further. Rafika the Mini, it doesn't really matter what it does, but it is a green, white, and blue card. Uh, Lignify says in those, those are the baby colors. Those are the baby colors, green, white, and blue. It's poo colors. No. <laughs> uh, Lignify says enchant creatures is zero four tree folk with no abilities, and then shield of the oversoul gives uh abilities to the creature if it's green, and then also gives abilities to it if it's white. Right. So so um, if Lignify is on your Rafik and you cast shield uh shield of the oversoul, then the way the layers work is you have you have copy, control, text, type. So um, Lignify is going to make it a tree folk. Then we have color. There's nothing in here that actually changes color in any way, shape, or form. Uh, we have the abilities layer. So we have Lignify because we have Lignify wanting to remove abilities, and we have Shield of the Oversoul wanting to give abilities. Now, when we have two effects in the same layer or more than one effect in the same layer. We apply them in timestamp order. So since the Lignify was down first, it removes all abilities first. Then we look at what Shield of the Oversoul is trying to do, and it is trying to make it indestructible and give it flying. Okay? Then we move on to uh, the power and toughness. Okay, there's no characteristic defining abilities. Then we have a ability that is trying to set the power and toughness. Lignify tries to set it to zero four. It does so successfully. And then we have modifications to the power and toughness the Shield of Oversoul is trying to do, which is giving it the plus one plus one if it's green and plus one plus one if it's white is both green and white. So it gets the uh it gets the plus two plus two, making it a two six. Flying indestructible baby. Yes. All right. Perfect. Baby. Love it. Rafika the baby. Rafika the baby. Baby of the many. <laughs> All right. I'll, t- I'll tackle our next email. It comes from this one's easy because he guessed the answer and then was correct. So this one should be easy for me to tackle. He's using Bear Cub now as their vanilla of Hey, that's. So wait, let me get this straight. So, CG, you had me a question, and then you had Brian a question, and you're like, oh, I'll just take the one they already answered. Yeah. All right. <laughs> see how it is. It's hard out there for a pimp. All right. He does, he does, all, the editing. He does all the editing. He deserves the softball. Sure. Okay. <laughs> That's, That's probably true. 
Chris oh, Meyer. I don't do all the editing. Chris Meyer. All he can handle is the easy one. That's true. That's true. All right. Player A controls Olivia Voldaren. Look how he even wrote this. This is beautiful. Player A controls Olivia Voldaren, Stromkirk Captain, which pumps vampires, and Knight of Infamy, which is at 2-1 Exalted Blah Blah. Player N controls a bear cub. Player A attacks with the whole team, and then Player N blocks Knight of Infamy with bear cub. Finally, Player A uses Olivia's first ability targeting the Knight of Infamy. So Olivia's first ability is uh, it deals one damage to a target creature, yeah, just creature, and then that creature becomes a vampire in addition to its other types. And his question effectively is, will the Knight of Infamy survive? It's a 2-1. And so the way we, uh, the way this all goes down actually is that since it's all part of one ability, we mark the one damage on it and then we continue to resolve the ability because we only check stage-based actions after, uh, when a player would receive priority. So that's after the ability resolves. So then it becomes a vampire. Now the moment it becomes a vampire, Strongkirk Captain starts to apply to it. So it gets the plus one plus one, gets bigger, and finally, well first off, Bear Cub's dead, but Bear Cub was dead either way here. But don't speak ill of Bear Cub. Yeah, he wrote that Bear Cub will unfortunately die an adorable death. <laughs> adorable death. Oh, bear baby. But it's cute. The point is, when state-based actions are checked, it only it's a three-two with one damage marked on it, so it survives and everybody's happy. Next, yay! Next, yeah, that one's easy. It's interesting. I like it. It's from Ben, and uh, I'll let you handle this one, Brian, since it's apparently about one of your favorite cards. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, let's see here. I love this. Love this. Love this. Love this. So his question is. Um, basically boils down to how does doubling season interact with planeswalkers? Yes, that's a good one. So, uh, doubling season, uh, is an enchantment from Ravnica that says if an effect would put one or more tokens into play under your control, it puts twice that many into play instead. If an effect would place one or more counters on a permanent you control, it places twice that many counters on the permanent instead. So, the the question boils down to is there's there's really two main times that doubling season interacts with planeswalkers. Uh when planeswalkers enter the battlefield and then when you use their their loyalty abilities. Um or or opportunities rather for doubling season to interact. So when a planeswalker enters the battlefield, okay, there is an effect putting counters on that planeswalker. So if a planeswalker is supposed to enter the battlefield with, say, three counters, it's going to end doubling season is on the battlefield. It's going to enter with six. That is because there is an effect that is putting counters on your your planeswalker. Right, and that effect is not written on the card, clearly. That's actually a replacement effect created by the comprehensive rules. Correct. Uh, uh-huh. the, the, next, the next thing is when you use a loyalty ability. What's interesting about that is putting the loyalty abilities on or taking them off is actually a cost of activating the ability, just like tapping, just like paying mana, adding or removing counters to use the loyalty loyalty ability is a cost. Doubling season does not interact with cost. So if you want to use its plus one, uh, uh, use a plus one ability of a planeswalker, you are putting one counter on doubling season does not double that. Correct. It interacts really, really cool with planeswalkers that are entering the battlefield. Not so cool with planeswalkers that are already on the battlefield, unless that planeswalker is a token producer like Olse Sarkinval. Yeah. No, it's really good with uh, Jace Architect of Thought when you can just slam him and search your library for another one and slam it and search your library for another one and <laughs> slam it. Keep going. 
and then end with with uh, Battle of Wits, like they were doing, or not Battle of Wits, sorry, Wits End, to make your opponent discard their hand, like they were doing in uh, the, the the Magic Community Cup. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was pretty sweet. Well, that sounds fun. Yeah, it was a weird constructed format. It was uh, Ravnica, Guild Pack, Dissension, Return to Ravnica, Team Unified, Constructed. Yeah, I watched a lot of that Community Cup. It was. It looked like that format was a blast. <laughs> so speaking of blasts, here's our next email. A blast from the internet. So this this listener asked uh, not to have his name read, but he's a longtime listener and a longtime player. Can we make up a location for him? Yes, do it. Mongolia. This guy is from Mongolia. Guy or girl, wink, is from Mongolia. Uh, he he has an issue in that he is... No, hold, hold on. Now you have to read it in a Mongolian accent. What's a Mongolian accent? <laughs> <laughs> Which is the whole reason why I picked Mongolia. Come on, CJ, go. <laughs> no, this is way too long to read in a Mongolian accent. <laughs> All right. He, he has an issue in that he is technically legally blind and also print impaired. I'm not 100% sure what print impaired means. Do you guys know? Probably a hard time reading printed text. Well, I guess his next sentence explains. He says, this means I cannot read the text on a magic card without assistance from a magnifier or electronic adaptive device. Uh, he says he hides it from everyone when he plays MTG. I'm, I'm not sure why. Oh, wait. He says that, too. I do this for several reasons, mainly because it is my greatest weakness and can be easily exploited in a match. And, and that it is embarrassing to expose one's greatest weakness to everybody around you. He says he can recognize artwork, and he memorizes all the cards in standard that he can, and he'll ask his opponent what the cards do if he needs to. And he says that works most of the time. Uh, some of the other hurdles he has is that uh, he has trouble reading the posted pairings. What he has to do is he takes a picture with his phone and then blows it up to find his seat. He says that this does make it a little more difficult for him to get to his seat on time, though. So he has three questions for us. Jess, I'll throw this one, first one at you. He asks, am I allowed to look up the Oracle text on my smartphone during a match? So if a player announces a spell that I don't know the text on, and he just shows me the card when I ask him what it does, my safeguard in this situation is usually to look up the text so I can blow it up to the appropriate size on my smartphone. So the short answer is yes. Yes, uh, you are allowed to look up Oracle text uh, as long as the page you are using does not contain extra strategic information. So your best bet there is to use the uh, the gatherer website that mm-hmm. Magic has, which is gatherer.wizards.com, as it will not have extra information, and it's clear it's specifically allowed. But you are definitely allowed to look that up. Now, that's assuming that you're not taking an unreasonable amount of time doing it. So I encourage you in this situation to look it up, and if you were playing at my store, I would encourage you to do that, and I would allow it. Uh, but I would also let you know, you know, if it's taking you five minutes to look up every card, that's a little too much time, and we'll have to work something else out. Right. But if there, if you do have a problem, you could also, uh, you know, call a judge and have them verify what a card does. But, it, I mean, I understand the awkwardness of bringing that up because it, it might be an embarrassing problem. But, uh, I really think that, that you should probably let the, the people running the event know, let them know discreetly, but let them know that you have this issue. So that if it comes up later, it doesn't sound like you're making excuses. Like, oh, I didn't make it to my seat on time because I have I have uh, this issue. Well, why didn't you tell me about that before, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's uh, as as a TO, if you come up to me and say I have this issue with these with this thing, more than likely I'm going to give you fixed seating. I'm going to tell you, oh, well, every round you're going to be prepared at table one. Now you don't have to worry about it. And that actually leads right into a second question. He was asking, uh, does do you think he could ask a judge to have an assigned seat that doesn't move, you know, similar to like we would do for someone in a wheelchair? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that's totally reasonable in this situation. 
And Word does that, right? I know DCIR did. Word, Word doesn't do that. So if you are a judge, and I actually deal with this on a pretty regular basis with some players, if you are a judge using Wizards of Event Reporter and somebody asks you for a, a fixed seating, you are going to have to modify the pairings every round, which is fairly easy to do. The hard part is remembering to do it. Yeah. So what I like to do is I actually like to uh, – I actually just make myself a note in like a bright colored paper or big letters, and I just tape it to the computer monitor that this is what I need to do uh, to remind myself. Because if you don't, it's going to get really awkward uh, later on when somebody thinks – that when three different people think they're at one table. Right. The last question is he asks uh, how he should proceed in general when attending a Magic event. He asks, should he talk to a judge first? Should he keep it to himself and muddle through like he has for the last 15 or more years? Um, well, I mean – you should absolutely talk to a judge. I would recommend talking to the head judge or possibly the scorekeeper if there if, if there's there are two different people. Um, it is easiest and best for the judges to take care of this uh, those concerns before the event starts than for them to try and take care of it midstream. So you're doing yourself a favor bringing it up beforehand, and you're doing the judge staff a favor bringing it up beforehand. Uh, so you you want to bring that up at the beginning of the actually before the event starts. Let them know, hey, this is the situation. This is my name. Um, I was wondering if I could get uh, fixed seating uh, for this problem. You don't have to go into great detail about what the problem is. Just let them know I have to, you know, some difficulty reading uh, the pairings because I have a, a vision impairment. And uh, and also just verify, hey, you know, so I was told that I could look up cards cards on my phone, the Oracle text. That, that's going to be okay because I need to blow it up, right? And the judge should say, yeah, that's fine. Um, but that way they know what's going on. So if they see you using your phone a lot during the match, they don't get suspicious that you're trying to get outside information. They understand why you're doing that. Uh, I think these are, you should absolutely talk to a judge first. It's going to make your life at magic tournaments much easier. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and they're not going to go around going, Oh, by the way, this guy, this guy has a vision problem. They're not going <laughs> to do that. No, no, great. All right. Let's dive into our next question. We only have two more left. This one's from Steven from England. Jolly O, pip, pip, Jerry O. Oh, my God. <laughs> he says he's at a, a new shop for a pre-release, and it only had about 14 players, so that's regular REO. He says, at the end of a match, one player in the game next to me called the store owner over to say that his opponent cheated. The opponent had apparently drawn a card from the bottom of his library in game one. He had somehow drawn his hand while still holding his deck and put a card from the bottom of it on in his hand? This was apparently without knowing what the card was. It was not clear if this happened by accident or not. He says there was no judge at the event, and the store owner did not know what to do. This uh, this player, Stephen, mentioned that there was a warning at competitive for improper drawing at the start of game, but he was a judge, so he also did not know how, what to do. The player got away with just a verbal warning, but I'm interested in what the correct ruling would have been. Stephen. Well, Brian, I'll let you handle this one since I got the last one. Yeah, Brian, you handle this one. Oh, I get to talk <laughs> now. All right, so... Uh, the first, the first thing I want to, uh, correct here is the idea that there's not a judge at, at FNMs. You go to the store owner, there was no judge present. The TO is by default always the head judge. Every, every event has a judge. It might not be a certified judge and FNMs do not require a certified judge, but there's always, always a judge. And if there's not in, in the, la- in the, in the lack of anybody else, it's going to be the TO. In in this particular thing, I guess a lot of questions that need to be asked, yes. and depending on what the answers are, is going to depend on what the the answer is. Is base, basically it's it comes down to I'm going to ask questions that convince me that no one's cheating. Okay, one of the things that strikes me as kind of fishy about this is 
this of this happened in game one. We're now in game three. Okay. Yeah. So 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 let's let's start off. So the first some of the questions I'm going to ask the the player that did this is you know you know why did you do this? Have you done this all their games? You know, I think in in one of his uh Stevens one of his other emails is the player said he did it to like freak his opponent out or something something along those lines. Okay. Uh, so it was it was like a troll in a sense. Uh so going to ask going to ask questions like why did you do it? Is this the way you've been doing it? You know, every other game, did you do this in game two? Have you done this in previous matches? You know, was it, was it intentional? To the player who called a judge, you know, well, if you notice the problem, why are you doing it now? Okay. Because one of, one of the things is we don't want is we do not want players sitting on when they notice something wrong, sitting on it and waiting until they can gain an advantage. Like, let's say this is game three. The guy just lost lost the match and so now he's calling attention to it hoping to get his opponent uh, a game loss or something like that so that he can win the match and that he can advance and right. that is right out that's that is that is definite cheats there uh, hanging on hanging on noticing noticing a, a a problem and then sitting on it and bringing it up when you get the biggest advantage okay is uh is is cheats. And then, and then one of the other things is, was anything, you know, when he was shuffling off the bottom, if there was anything odd or off about the shuffling techniques. I'm a little all over the place, but. No, that's fine. This question, I mean, this is a very difficult question to just come into and be like, well, here's the answer. Cause you really have to be there and be able to investigate. Right. And so like if the guy, if the guy did it by accident, I don't really know how you would do it by accident. If the guy did it by accident, sure, whatever. Uh, but if I, if I start getting the, the, the feeling that, that he did this and he did this for an advantage, then no, get out. Right. Yeah. And also, and also the guy, his, uh, his opponent who like sat on it and waited, he's probably, that's, that's pretty fishy there as well. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why do you do that? Okay. Ready for our last email? So this one, we only got a couple hours ago, so we haven't replied to it, but uh, it's from easy Pickens, which I doubt is his real name, but maybe it is. It's kind of a cool name if it is. So he says, thanks for a great show. I really like when you go in-depth on the rules. The stuff specific to the judge program is interesting, but that's not why I listen. More rules, more rules. My friends and I have created a new format of MTG called Clone Magic. Our format has two things that make it unique. First, every player has exactly the same pool of cards. So he, uh, he says, I have a set of cards that is a copy, hence Clone Magic of the set you have. There is no card advantage. Second, we change some of the rules each week. Sometimes we change the deck construction rules, and sometimes we change the rules of the game itself. It says the format is a hoot. You can read more about it at clonemagic.org. Oh, sounds like someone was looking for a plug. He was, but I gave it to him because he's listening. Although he also emailed Judge Kessnoy. I know. Oh. That's that's the thing. That's uh, the thing. So here's his question, though. The thing that makes Clone Magic so f- much fun is that is the fact that we have uh, different rules each week. And he asks us, what rules of magic or deck construction would, change, would we change to make a fun play experience? Remember that the changes will only apply for one tournament, so you can't break the game for long. And then he mentioned that he's emailing this to Judge Cast North too, and that we should make our answer better than theirs. Cause it's not enough just to make our podcast better than theirs. No, it's never enough. We must crush them in <laughs> all aspects. All aspects. This is a tough question, especially to answer right on the fly. Cause I really like magic and I think it's pretty good where it is. Do you guys have anything? Blocking trample. What would Blank. you change? Uh, make it work on defense. 
also. Hmm. So so when you block with a primeval titan and you block the 2-2, it deals four damage to your opponent. <laughs> yeah, I kind of like that because then they would think twice, you know, do I want to attack him? I mean, I might take four damage here. They're going to think twice into a doom blade. That's what they're going to do. There, there's, there's a creature that are, I think it's Megalon, Meg, Meglanoth or something from, uh, yes. from, uh, that does, it's from, does it's from Conflux, if I remember yes. correctly. Meglanoth, yes. I just looked it up. Whenever Meglanoth blocks a creature, Meglanoth deals damage to that creature's control equal to Meglanoth's power, and it's a 6-6. Six, six. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. But, uh, yeah, so, so that, that would be, that would be fun. Not necessarily, uh, making the game simpler or streamlining it or anything like that. No, just as a fun change for a week for a tournament. I think that'd be fine. The change that I would want to make to the rules, and I think actually this was something, uh, Mark Rosewater said he would do if they could redesign magic from the ground up, uh, in one of his articles. He said they would, uh, that, that instant would not be a card type. Mm-hmm. It, it would be a super type. Yes. So that you would have, uh, instant sorceries and instant creatures. So you didn't have to give things flash, you would just have things be instant. Yeah, and that's... In- instant tribals? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also my opinion that tribals should be a super type. But well, that's not taken over there. Tribals so you retired could, anyway. They're not gonna so use you could it. have a snow, a snow legendary instant land. Yeah. I mean, we've had, we've had tribal as recently as Rise of yeah, the Yeah, and they've said that they're not gonna do it anymore. Oh, okay. Because it would it would have been an Innistrad. I mean, that had some pretty heavy tribal themes. I guess. Yeah. Oh well. Meh. Yeah, I got nothing. Everyone always says, "Well, remove the you know maximum card hand size rule." And it's like, okay, sure. No. But All right. I, I really like Magic how it is for the most Me part. Me too. I mean, like when I when I came back to the game after the M10 rules changes, I was like, oh, a lot of this makes a lot of sense. Like, because I started playing right before Sixth Edition. Yeah. So I've seen I've seen the big changes here and there, but All right. I like where we are right now. Here we go. Here's a here's a wacky one. If we're if we're just talking, you know, change rules of the game to make for a wacky fun format, something like that, and yeah. we're playing with the exact same card pool, your library is your graveyard. Yeah, you know what? I have thought about that one. So just just flip your flip your library over there. It's your graveyard. You draw a card from your graveyard. Could make things really actually. That would be really bad now that I think about it. Because like I kill your primeval titan, it becomes the top card of your library. <laughs> There's really no way to get rid of it. Well, you know, so scratch that. Scratch that is horrible. Along the similar. Well, you just could play with like a permanent wheel of sun and moon and play like everything that dies goes Maybe to the bottom of your library. Yeah, yeah because goes to the bottom. Okay, that would work. So along the same lines there, I, I would go with uh, your library is your life total. So creatures, whenever they deal damage, you just mill for that much damage. I think I think like the Harry Potter card game or something has those rules. Maybe Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, we, uh, maybe. Uh, there's, some other, uh, there's some other fun variants of magic that people play. I mean, you have mental magic. There's uh, zero variants of mental magic. There's all kinds of stuff. But a friend of mine and I we're talking about something called uh, three-card magic. Uh-huh. And that's where you get to pick three cards, and I get to pick three cards, and we write them down. And we don't know what the other person picked, and we don't know who's going first. But those are the only three cards you get the entire game. You don't get to draw cards, you don't have a library, and you play with those three cards and see who can win. And you can play with, it's like, you know, vintage band lists here, so... You know, what three cards would you pick? And we've come up with a lot of different things. Hmm. Uh, I propose this to players, and they've come up with some really interesting three-card combinations. So, uh, like Channel, a, Fireball, Black Lotus? How are you getting two colors? Oh, uh, no. I think we've talked about this, because I think I said the exact same thing, and then you said <laughs> the exact same thing, because I just I just remembered that. Uh, we might have. Got me. 
<laughs> Wait, do you have do you have like infinite mana for this? No. No. Oh, you don't? Oh, no. You actually have to create. Oh man. Mana somehow. So it's got to be like mountain. So a land. Uh, so a source of mana has to be one of the cards. Uh, unless you're able to play without a source of mana, yes. There is one hand that doesn't have mana sources that people can play. <laughs> it looks like midnight. Midnight. Midnight <laughs> is gonna. He's gonna get there. Get there. Mimnite, 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 and then um that Phyrexian mana, uh the giant growth Phyrexian mana one. <laughs> Mimnite, Mimnite, mutagenic growth. Yeah, that's it. It's interesting. Um Do you run so, out what happens when you run out of your three cards? Do you get them again or what? No, that's it. You you have to actually beat them with that. So I mean we've seen people come up with do the uh the Black Lotus show and tell Emrakul mm-hmm. seeing the uh, let's see, Leyline of Anticipation, Black Lotus Thalia was a pretty sweet one. I'm just going to do, um, like, Phyrexian Metamorph, Black Lotus, then who cares? And then whatever you do that's good, I'll just do that too. And then I don't have to think too much. Um, I also saw, uh, let's see, Dryad Arbor, Force of Will, some other blue card. <laughs> like, just counter whatever you do, play a Dryad Arbor. I like it. Um, and then I also saw, let's see, Somebody suggested, this is the one with no mana sources, uh, suggested uh, Chancellor of the Annex, Chancellor of the Annex, Chancellor of the Forge. And Chancellor of the Annex, uh, all, actually all the Chancellors say you can reveal this uh, from your opening hand. And Chancellor of the Annex says when you do this, counter the first spell your opponent plays unless they pay one. <laughs> so they have to pay two or their first spell is countered. And Chancellor of the Forge gives you a 1-1 one, one goblin. With haste. Uh, it actually doesn't have haste, what? but you control, you control it through an upkeep. So that's fine because you start the game with it in play. Um, okay, well, I think we should save the rest of this for clone magic cast or three card magic cast. Oh, sorry, I was no. we're talking about. I, I really like that. It sounds fun, but we're really we're late. We should end the show. So All right. first off, though, if you want to send us an email with your crazy three card magic combo, I'll read it. Whatever. Absolutely, best three card magic combo. I will. We will. Uh, if, if you can break the format, I will be extremely happy. <laughs> And, uh, if, you know, we'll, uh, maybe this is time for a new contest. So best three card magic hand, we, we, we'll put something up for that. I don't know what yet. Okay, sure. Why not? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh you can email us at judgecast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash judgecast and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash judgecast. I remember when I used to stumble through saying all that and now it's just, I've said it so many times. It's like head judge opening announcement. It is. It's exactly yeah, like those. You can just rattle it off. All right, anyone, you guys want to add anything else before we sign off? No, other than uh, since I mentioned it, uh, the three-card magic thing, I wanted to say thanks to Nick Rakowski, who came up with the idea, or at least told me about the idea. He's actually written into the show before. so Good. Um, yeah, but I don't have anything else. Do you guys have anything else? No. I just want to thank all our listeners for continuing to listen, listening onward into the new year. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Alright, for everybody, my name is CJ Trader. I keep it fair. I'm Jess Docks, I keep it fun. I'm Brian Prillman, order, keep eye out of it. Alright, let's do our, our moment of silence. Alright, moment of silence. To remember those who came before us. Ricky and Sean? Yes. And Jose. Everyone forgets about Jose. That's why we need this moment for Jose. Sounding good on my new microphone. You are, by the way. Sounded sexy. Yeah.